The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Go to God's Word. We're reading Galatians. Our text this morning comes from Galatians 2, verse 4 through 16. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and from those who seem to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me. God knows, no, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the, gra- that grace, the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though, if you, though a Jew, Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order that in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. This is the word of God. Thank you, Aaron. A lot going on this morning, and I know a lot is going on in your life, and lots going on in my life. I felt for Paul this morning as our band got a little off track. Uh, I know where his mind is. His mother-in-law, um, Dina's mother, passed away uh, this week, and uh, I know they've been. They had the funeral all day yesterday, and. Um, my mind is a little distracted too. My mother, uh, 80-year-old mother, fell yesterday and dislocated her shoulder and broke her arm and spent literally all day um, into the night with her. Um, and it just reminds me that uh, we all come here with different stories and different burdens. And um, So before we go to the Lord, let's pray and just ask God to speak to us wherever we are. God, we thank you that you're a God that that meets us where we are and tells us what we need to hear when we need to hear it. 
God, I thank you for the life of Vivian Greer. I thank you for Paul and Dina and what they mean to this church family and pray your blessing upon them. God, I pray that you'll be with Dina in her grief as she was so, so close to her mom. Be with her nine brothers and sisters. May you bring comfort. Lord, may you minister to that family in ways that only you can. God, I pray for my own mother that you would bring healing. Lord, I pray that you would relieve the pain uh, that she's in. Father, give us wisdom as we make choices with doctors, um, even after church today. Uh, So God, we give you our burdens. We give you our lives. We give you those we love. We know that you love them more. So speak to us. Minister to us. Convince us of what we need to be convinced of this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, you need to know that we are in a series called Bringing Church Back. And for the last three weeks, I have been arguing for the truth of the Bible because agreement is the foundation for unity and community. Do you hear me? Agreement is the foundation for unity and community. In other words, if you are an Arkansas fan, you and I can get along very well. If you are an Auburn fan, an Ole Miss fan, an LSU fan, a UT fan, if you're a fan of anybody else, we can't get along very well. Your team is the Cowboys and the Broncos, or, you know, I mean, you just can't get along. But if you meet someone that has the same loyalty, you have instant connection, right? Why? Because there is unity based on agreement. And yet, even in that illustration, we know that there's also division. Uh, Because if we disagree on who is the best, we disagree on our loyalties, then we are going to be bumping into each other. Now, that's all in, you know, fun when we're talking about sports. But when we start talking about truth claims in the world, we need to get serious because we were made not for division. We were made not for fighting, but we were made to be a community. And therefore, especially in the church, we need to agree on what is true and agree on what God calls us to. And what the Bible proposes is that there is one truth, there are not several truths, and we need to hear that today, because what is welling up really from pop culture is, just live your own truth. Just just be you, just kind of do your truth, and I'll do my truth, and, and, and... that doesn't hold up, and, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but, but that is a very naive approach to life, even though it has a ring of truth. Shouldn't we just love each other and all get along? Yes, but it, 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 it has a very naive approach to sin and evil. It, not just out there somewhere, but the reality of what the Bible says, and that means that we are sinful. So I really can't let you believe what you want. I can't let you believe your truth and mind because... I'm just not that strong of a problem. I mean, there's evil that lives inside of me. We're going to unpack that in a minute. But what we need to understand is that Christians are making absolutely...
absolute truth claims. That's what Paul is doing in the book of Galatians. Listen to uh, verses one, uh, excuse me, chapter one, six through nine. I'm astonished that you were so quickly Christians in Galatia, deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. In other words, there's no truth for you, truth for me. Uh, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so Paul is putting this forward that there is one truth. It is a gospel message. It's very distinct. God has revealed it to us and we must agree upon it. And if we do, then it's, a, it's truth that sets us free. Chapter 5 of Galatians. For freedom has Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Now, the reason that I'm making this connection that Paul makes in Galatians that the truth of the gospel brings freedom is because the truth, truth today and anyone that makes absolute truth statements is viewed as one whose motive is to oppress. If you have a truth claim, then that's just going to be oppressive. And freedom today is throwing off any absolute truth claim and just letting me be free and letting me be my own truth. But I want to say that We need as Christians to unpack that so we can understand. And if you're here today and you're not uh, a follower of Jesus, and um, then then I want to argue you to this point, if I can, if you'd let me, if if you'd be open to let me speak to you. Um, So so let's look at it. Uh, Let's look at this claim of the gospel, but let's think through some of the claims of the world. And I think to really understand truth, you have to know that truth is more important than you think. To say, oh, you have your truth, I'll have mine, that is a low view of truth. And so we need to understand that it's more important. Let me kind of flesh this out in a number of illustrations. Here's the first one. Over the last month, we all know, we've been watching the news that uh, there have been natural disasters, hurricanes. You know, the last one just leveled Puerto Rico. There's no power. It's, 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 it's just a horrific, unthinkable situation in uh, Puerto Rico. Um, well, imagine if at, you know, the, the forecasters, the Weatherman's uh, National Conference, I assume they have one, uh, Never quite been, been invited, but uh, I'm assuming they have one, that, that they all get together and say, you know what, we are tired of everybody questioning our forecast, so we're just going to forecast for each other, and we're not going to give our information, um, you know, so it can be broadcast on the news channels. We are just going to be our, this is going to be our truth. We're just going to determine the weather, and we're just going to keep it to ourselves. And we would, there would be an uprising. What? There's no, i got to know what the weather is today. Oh, yeah, I make fun of you, but come on, I mean, when you get it wrong, but you see, we would say that is not loving. That impacts me. And so, so we would all say, no, you can't do that. All right. You can't just live your own truth in that situation. You say, yeah, Richard, but um, that's unloving. But as long as you don't hurt anybody, as long as your truth doesn't hurt anybody else, it's okay. Just go do what you want to do. Well, if you just look at history, and let's just look at the history of Memphis, and um, I've been spending a lot of time looking at the history of Memphis because of this building, 
um, and, and, you know, downtown church and all that we're about. And if, if you look at the history of Memphis, you see that many of the churches, um, especially the conservative um, Orthodox churches, um, they kind of had their own truth that, hey, we're going to follow the migration east, and so we are going to move away from downtown. But what did that do? They had their own truth. We're going to go, and we're going to move east, and we're going to, you know, be together. But what did that do? It heightened the needs of the under-resourced. And, and, and there are huge repercussions from refusing to do life, refusing to seek gospel diversity. And, and yet, then it seemed very logical. We're not hurting. We're just going to do our own thing. Well, that's why you millennials would say... Well, that's exactly why we are are convinced that we're going to direct our lives in the way of justice. We're going to be about justice. We're going to be about making a difference, and that's very noble. But let me ask you two questions. The first is this. If you're going to give your life to justice, can you do it without judging those that don't have your view of justice? Can you do it? Let let me ask you this. What is your heart feeling toward Donald Trump? Exactly. You see, to to just say I'm going to live my own truth ignores your heart and mine and what the Bible says about it. And and let me flesh that out a little more. Those that say we're just going to, you know, justice is the thing. This is this is going to be a life well lived. We give ourselves to justice. And believe me, I'm all for justice. I mean, the biblical justice, absolutely. But not justice as my salvation and that which makes my, you know, helps me identify or create my identity. Um, Because those that um, whose identity is living you know, fleshing justice out in community, which is very important, uh, many of them also have a very liberal view of issues such as um, sex and the sexual revolution. And, you know, uh, those that are into justice might also believe, you know, don't tell me what to do with my body. It's my body, and I can, you know, and that's why um, we're not marrying, we're living with each other, and, um, you know, the, the sexual um Revolution is so mainstream and rampant. And yet, it's interesting that we all know, most of us probably know, that Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, died this week. And I have been absolutely fascinated by watching the world's reaction. Because nobody, you know, I think maybe 20 years ago, he would have been exalted and look at what he did and, you know, and yet today, everybody's kind of like, oh, Hugh, okay, thank you, but we're not really going to, you know, we don't know how, what to do with you, all right? We don't know what to do with your death. We're not really sure how to, and I was reading an article this week written by uh, a woman who lived through sexual revolution, 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and this is what she said, and this is the second quote that I'm not giving credit to somebody, and I'm sorry about For whatever reason, I just, I'm, I just could not find, again, where I found this quote. But anyway, uh, I'm not taking credit for it, so I guess that helps. But uh, So <laughs> uh, um, a woman probably my age wrote this quote. She said, um, to be a nice girl was, looking at sexual revolution time, playboy, that kind of thing, uh, to be a nice girl was to be looked on as a freak. Right? 
The truth was, however, the new permissiveness gave men permission to exploit you. And so what she gets is, is the very, I mean, our culture gets now, but it didn't for many years, that, you know, the whole porn um, thing and, and all those battles, the liberal side, um, you know, fighting, you know, the um, freedom of speech and so forth, that what that really did was gave way to um, deeper, thicker oppression of women. And we see it in porn. I saw a statistic this week that 73% of 18-year-olds and under boys have um, been exposed to uh, video pornography. Not just images, but 73%. And if you think that doesn't have a correlation to, let's just take one tiny example, the rape culture on the Baylor football team, uh, you're crazy. <laughs> um, already at Ole Miss, I think within the first couple of weeks, there were four sexual assaults reported. If you think that doesn't have something to do with the objectification of women that was mainstream, protected, and, and held as progress, your head is in the sand. And so this freedom, let me do my thing, you do your thing, and we're, you know, you can't do that. Because what you do personally impacts who you are socially. What you do personally impacts everybody around you, and you can't get away from it. And I would say it's because God made us to be communal people. But the truth is the truth no matter what. You cannot just live your own truth. And you say, well, Richard, I grew up in a religiously conservative home that regarded the Bible as God's word, and I suffered under the legalism. I was oppressed. Maybe your wife that maybe was even in an abusive home. I talked to several. And, and, and the Bible was used to oppress you. But I want you to understand that Paul in the book of Galatians is writing to conservative religious people. And he's not saying truth oppresses you. He's saying people that don't understand the truth of the Bible oppress you. Because the Jews um, who were claiming to be Christians are now, they're not willing to give up the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. They're not willing to give up their tradition. And so they are standing, you've got this liberal Paul who's out there preaching salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. And he, and, and they're saying, no, 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 we are making the law great again. We, some of you get it. Uh, <laughs> I try. I'm not the funniest, but hey, I thought it was going to be better than that. Let me try that again. They want to make the law great again. There we go. That's much better. I like that. Sorry. Just need more laugh this morning. Uh, long day yesterday. Um, so they want to make the law great again, and, and here's the, the issue, is to do so negates the whole gospel. And, and yet you don't see Paul saying, well, let's throw truth away. What he does is his, this is false teaching. The problem is not with the truth. The problem is with false teaching and false teachers. And let them be eternally cursed. He says it twice. He said, okay, in case you didn't hear me, 
if, if, if anybody preaches, even an angel from heaven preaches a different message from what I preach to you, let him be eternally cursed. The problem is not with the Bible, friends. Can people use truth to oppress you? Absolutely. And Jesus was calling out the Pharisees all the time. He was confronting them, calling down woes on them, telling them they were children of the devil, children of hell itself. But he, he did that and said, because that is not the gospel. But there is a gospel. So truth is more important than you think, but truth is also more liberating than you, when, that you think. If you really hear the message of the, the, the gospel, the message of God's word from beginning to end, if you take the whole thing and understand it's about the redemption that came to mankind through the Son of God who lived, died, resurrected, ascended, and is coming back one day, if you understand that, you will be liberated. So truth is more liberating than you think. Jean Vanet, uh, one of my heroes of the faith, he, uh, obviously a Frenchman, started a string of um, homes. And when I say homes, I don't mean like institutions. I mean like houses where, um, you know, whole-minded people live with just, you know, six, seven, eight, nine uh, severely mentally challenged men. And so he started these, these homes where, you know, a couple of men that, you know, had all their mental faculties lived with those that didn't. And as I, I thought about that, when I, when I was reading his little work from Brokenness to Community, which I highly recommend, Jean, Jean Vanier, V-A-N-I-E-R, from Brokenness to Community, um, you know, I, I was really intimidated by this. It just struck me, I'm like, he, he was talking about, at that point of writing this book or giving these lectures, he was actually invited by Henry, uh, Henry Nowen, to give lectures at to, um, Harvard Divinity School, by, you know Henry Nowen invited him to uh, Harvard Divinity School to teach these lectures. And when I was reading them, I was just thinking that kind of Christianity scares me to death. Why? Because it sounds like it threatens our freedom. Oh, I've got to give up my whole life? No way. No. Let's back up a little bit. Let's bring this train back. I don't know that I really want to give up that much, you know. I don't know if I want to go that far. That sounds a little radical. And yet, listen, because what we're afraid is that we're going to die. What we're afraid is that we're going to be oppressed and be miserable. And yet, listen to what Benet wrote. He said, I discovered something which I'd never confronted before. That there were immense forces of darkness and hatred within my own heart. At particular moments of fatigue or stress, I saw forces of hate rising up inside me. And the capacity to hurt someone who was weak uh, and was provoking me. Wow. When I read that, I'll never forget. Coming home, I worked nights at FedEx. And so I would go to all, you know, I'd work at night. I'd come home, sleep for a couple hours, and then go to the University of Memphis. Um, and then I would come home. And sometimes, like, I remember a specific night when I just hit the bed. I mean, I was so dead tired. And I remember Whitney crying out. And I remember going in that room, and I had so much rage in me. And it scared me. I'm like, who is that guy? And God was saying, that guy is you without me. 
Wow. And that, so I get what he's saying. That, I think, was what caused me the most pain. To discover who I really am and to realize that maybe I did not want to know who I really was. I did not want to admit all the garbage inside me. And then I had to decide whether I would just continue to pretend that I was okay and throw myself into hyperactivity, projects where I could forget all the garbage and prove to others how good I was. I wish I could relate to that. I can't relate to that at all. How about you? Uh, Elitism is the sickness of us all. Wow. We all want to be on the winning team. This is at the heart of apartheid and every form of racism. The important thing is to become conscious of those forces in us and to work at being liberated from them and to discover that the worst enemy is inside our own hearts, not outside. Now, friends, the only way Jean Vinay came to realize that was by putting himself in a position to live among the severely mentally challenged people. And then and only when he began to live his life down, not up the ladder, but down the ladder, that's when he began to be liberated. And that's what I meant a minute ago when I said truth is more liberating than you think. You see, what Vinay is saying is exactly what Jesus was saying uh, and, and Paul is just echoing. And that is that true freedom is to be liberated from self. And all of us believe it. We believe that. I mean, who did anybody look at the first responders of 9-11 and say, those idiots? No, we built memorials to them. Why? Because they did not think about themselves and they rushed into the Twin Towers and they died. And we say, they're heroes. Because instinctively, we know that is beauty. Instinctively, we know it is true. And yet, dear friends, this is what the gospel not only calls us to, but empowers us for. Listen to Jesus, John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains um, a grain, uh, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Dear friends, we know this is true. We've got to push up against the world that says, just live your own truth. That doesn't work in any realm. Does it work in diet? Just let, just do whatever, eat whatever you want to, whenever you want to. Go try it and see what happens. It will enslave you. Just drink whatever you want. Drink however much you want. Whenever, it will enslave you. Work however much you want and whenever you want. Neglect it. It will enslave you. It will kill you. We all know this. And yet when it comes to the gospel, it's, oh, that's so closed-minded. Well, maybe it's not closed-minded. Maybe it is the truth that will set us free finally because nothing else has. Do you hear that? That there is liberation. Again, I love the fact that we don't know what to do with Hugh Hefner. I read an article, The Problem with Hugh Hefner's Legacy. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about mainstream people don't know what to do with him. 
because the essence of their message has been truly liberated people are sexually free. And marriage is a waning institution. And yet the gospel says to truly be free, you've got to die to yourself. Now, where am I getting this in this passage? Look at verse 10 of Galatians 2. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, what's happening there is that people are questioning Paul's apostleship because he's going to the Gentiles. And oh, we can't go to the Gentiles. They're the ones with power and money. See, this was a religion that was of the poor and the oppressed, the Jews. This, this can't go to the rich and the wealthy. And so Paul is saying, man, yeah, God's heart is so big that even the rich and wealthy are being converted. And so Paul and see, what, excuse me, Peter, James, and John say this. Only they asked us to remember the poor. Why? Because they didn't even trust that Paul was all that great. They knew the temptation of money and power. They knew if we just planted churches among the Gentiles, but they weren't diverse enough to bring in the uh, um, under-resourced, those that were oppressed socioeconomically, that the gospel would be thwarted. And so the apostles are saying, don't forget the poor because the gospel frees you not to build your relationships around money, fame, hobby, personal interest. The gospel is power to unite across every single line. It, it, it empowers a Gentile to love a Jew, a Jew to love a Gentile. And if we are not practically fleshing that out in community, in our church then we as a church are telling the world, we are preaching and declaring that the gospel is weak. And the gospel is no better than any other message. Remember the poor. And he wasn't just saying, so that, you know, start a nonprofit or give some money or take up a He was saying, do life with the poor. Don't you dare go to Galatia and just plant a church for wealthy people with power. Because that's not the gospel. That's only self-serving, because if you're just loving people that do something for you, that make you look good, that's not the gospel. James addresses this. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place while you say to the poor, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, but you have not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts, or have you not? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You're doing well. What, what, what James was saying is what Paul was saying is what Jesus was saying. It was, it was what the whole Old Testament economy was set up to protect. And that is the gospel frees you to love. 
And the church not to be a club, but to be a community. And that is what the gospel frees us to. And that is liberation. The messages of the world just form other cliques. It, that, going back to that, that, that quote, it's when you take truth away, when you're not sharing truth, then all you have left is power. And that's all we have. Look at Facebook right now. We're killing each other because we're in our camps and we're all claiming to hold the truth and this is what it looks like. Why? There, is there truth that unites us? Is there a truth out there that it doesn't matter what your political position is, right or left? Well, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or where you're from or how much money you make. Is there a liberating message? Is there absolute truth that frees you from yourself to love your neighbor? Yes, and it's the gospel. That's the contention. Amen. I'll give that a hand. Amen. And then finally, truth is more personal than you think. How does it flesh out? Because it hasn't fleshed out in the church very much. So how does it flesh out? It, it fleshes out personally. Friday night, I got together with my high school, Christian Brothers High School cross-country team. 35 years since we've seen each other. We got together. I know. Can you believe I've been out of... Yeah, you can. I couldn't. I had to do the math. We haven't seen each other in 35 years. I haven't been out of school that long. Oh, yes, I have. 35 years, we got together Friday night, had a great time reminiscing. The only reason I did it is because of my respect and my love for my cross-country coach, Frank Horton. He was a man who was an Exxon executive here in town, and he coached us uh, just out of the kindness of his heart. He didn't get paid. We had a school sponsor who got paid, and he probably didn't get paid much either, but he, but uh, Coach Horton got paid nothing. And he showed up every day, and he poured into us uh, young kids, and he taught us how to how to how to run. He taught us how to win. We won the state championship, and it's largely due to his coaching and his training and his plan. And to this day, 35 years later, I still I remember if I'm going up a hill, I still hear his voice. Shorten your stride, pump your arms, relax your forehead. I mean, I can just I can just get it out there. Why? Because there is relationship. And so what he told me, I accepted as truth, even to this day. There was a relationship of sacrifice. A relationship of of non-self-awareness. I come for you guys. When we won the state championship afterwards, we were all celebrating and we couldn't find him. Because we later found him and said, no, this is about you guys, not me. I mean, I get chills thinking about it. self It's personal, and I love that man. He died of Lou Gehrig's disease about 29 years ago. And I think about him maybe more than most any other man. Paul confronts Peter to his face. When Peter's around the Gentiles... I mean, he's eating barbecue, he's throwing down, they're best buds... When the Jews come around, he doesn't know them anymore. It's racism. It's prejudice. It's classism. And yet Paul doesn't come and say, you racist, Peter. He comes and he says, Peter, 
you have abandoned, you are out of line with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Do you hear that? How are we justified? Through faith in Jesus Christ. How are you going to bring your life in order with the truth of the gospel? It's by living with the constant reality, when the reality of your thinking at the very depth of who you are is the reality that all have sinned, including Richard Reeves, and yet all are justified freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. That he lived under the law in my place, he went to the cross, And he died for all of my sin, so that now through faith, the Father credits all of Jesus' obedience to Richard Reeves and all of Richard's evil and sinfulness to Jesus. And he loves me as his son, and he accepts me purely, and there's nothing that can separate me from God because Jesus' work is finished, and it's all by grace. I don't deserve it. I deserve hell itself. If that's my reality, then my heart is soft toward Jesus. And it's soft toward you. And it's soft towards anybody else I meet. Because I know my sin. Dear friends, do you have a personal relation? Are you living a personal relationship with Jesus? He said, follow me. He didn't say, go obey the Ten Commandments and then come and let's talk. He said, follow me. Come on. Let me put my arm around you. Let's do this. Let's move forward together. Are you following Jesus? Have you heard that internal call in your heart where you you said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I'm tired of following myself. I'm tired of following the messages of the world. I want to follow Jesus. Have you done that? Is that... Has it been a long time in Jesus that you just have a heart that's cold to Him? Renew your heart toward Him. Receive His forgiveness and love Him. And live in relationship with Him. That's what prayer is about. That's what Bible study is about. It's about nurturing your heart with Jesus. Listening to Him. Sitting at His feet. And then, dear friends, our hearts want to, want to follow, want to obey. But it's only in relationship. Only in relationship. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the message of the gospel is that clear. So God, I pray this morning that you would convince the skeptic. Father, I pray that you convince the skeptic that there is grace to be had in Jesus. That he lived, that he died, that he rose. And that they can be children of God as well. Father, I pray that you would humble us as your believers. That we would know there is nothing we have done, nothing we're doing, nothing that we will do to make us any closer to you, any more loved, because the foundation that you love us is Jesus. Remind us of that as we come to these tables. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.